I was at MomoCon this weekend, and the arcade scene was a sight to behold. But not there was the recently released Marvel Madness 2 prototype. But maybe next year? Tonight is May 29th, 2022, and the Bobby Blackwell Show featuring your calls and chat comments is up next. So, so you would say, uh, even if... Okay, I'll let you go. You talk. Wow, what, what happened to your voice? Thank you, Skype. So video games, that's what the show is about. This is that one, Aki Ripper from uh, Sweden. And what's with all the Halo hate, Bob? You've been hating on Halo a lot lately. I, I just don't like shooters. I'm not saying it's a bad game, I just don't like it. Billy O.K. says he can't be seen in public playing games that aren't hardcore, what would people say? And what up, G and Chad is once again talking about wrestling. That's why it's it's not because they hate the fans. It's more because they have to start from scratch. Uh, hogwash. Later. From a little room in Atlanta, Georgia, Bobby Blackwolf. That's right. There's a lot of stuff. Streaming stuff, movies this weekend. A lot of good stuff. And I've seen none of it. I haven't seen any of your your Mavericks or your Burgers. Or your your whatever from upside down. Nothing that's upside down. I haven't seen any of it, uh, but I will at some point. I'm sure. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a I hadn't seen anything edition of the Bobby Blackwell Show, where we discuss the current news affecting the video game industry, as well as sometimes reminisce about gaming's history. My name is Bobby Blackwell. If you're joining us live here on Twitch, uh, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. We do tape this show live each and every Sunday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, over at the Voice of Geeks Network Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Network. That is where I'm going to try to read intelligent comments uh, from chat throughout the night. Wish me luck. Uh, but uh, if you can't be here live, I completely understand. Podcast audience is amazing. Uh, we are on our Discord server, vognetwork.com slash Discord, throughout the week. And uh, that's where you can submit topics or submit things that we're going to talk about on the show here uh, or respond to anything in the previous episodes. So uh, that is how you can interact with us there. I am going to be hosting at Summer Games Done Quick uh, next month. Uh, so it's, it's actually like less than 26 days away. So uh, I am going to be there. Uh, I've already gone through the schedule. The schedule has not changed yet. That doesn't mean it's not going to change. It will. Uh, but yes, on uh, June 27th and June 28th, I will be on the air reading donations at Summer Games Done Quick up in Minneapolis. On June 27th, that's Monday morning at about about 9 a.m. Eastern, uh, Liz Star is going to be running McDonald's Treasure Land Adventure. Uh Right after that, Poochie, uh, Poochie or Poochilin. I haven't I haven't looked up how to pronounce it yet. I'll have it right though by the event. I promise. Uh, Nights into dreams, all levels. So we got Saturn there, uh, and then after that, made the DKC is going to be running the Pathless all bosses. That's about a two hour speed run there, and then the next day on Tuesday at three thirty p.m. Eastern, uh, Froob is going to be running Yakuza like a dragon. That's a four hour amazing speed run we're gonna have a lot of fun and we're gonna make fruit sing so uh i'm sure i will talk a lot more about that uh later on uh especially as we get closer that's it about about in a month that's the last week of june um the first uh thing i do want to mention uh is um obviously uh you know my thoughts are are with uh everybody in texas uh the, the recent tragedy in uvalde uh, with with uh, with what happened at the elementary school, and um, uh, yeah, we, all I'll say is something needs to be done, and um, you know if that means that we also get uh, mental health professionals more affordable to most people, um, then you know great, let's do that as well. 
Um, but, uh, you know, I, I have thoughts and I know I have people on here that are on all sides of the political spectrum. So, uh, I am opting to not use this as a platform for my views on that. My thoughts are with them and I do believe something needs to be done, but what we can do to help the families that are affected, uh, more than just thoughts, uh, other than demanding action from our congressman to do something, um, is uh, there? There is a, a gaming bundle uh, over at itch.io. We've talked about these gaming bundles before, uh, but this one is a bundle uh, that uh, is going for towards the first state bank of Uvalde. So this is uh, it's de- de- directly benefiting and going to them, and it's the Rob School Memorial Fund because it is here. It is Memorial Day here. Uh, tomorrow is Memorial Day here in America, which is. Uh, you know, so it's unfortunately fitting that this is happening. Uh, but there is a bundle here for at least $10 of a bunch of NES, homebrew NES games, as well as some other games. But there's there's a bunch of homebrew NES games, including one by our very own Loki here at the Voice Geeks Network over at Orange Lounge Radio. Uh, Pixel Poops number two is part of this bundle. Uh, but there are also several other uh, NES games. And Loki even says that um, these uh, th- these games are more competent. They're, they're, these are more competent developers than he is. I'm, uh, I don't believe so, but I'm going to take his word for it. So uh, this uh, bundle, they're looking to raise $1,000. They've got about uh, six, da- six days left, so it's running uh, until next Sunday. Uh, but you can obviously donate more. Uh, and uh, there are uh, 34 games in here. Uh, and I think also some like asset packs and stuff like that. Check this out if this is something that you are uh, interested in uh, in helping support the families of Uvalde in uh, in um, this very uh, trying and financially unstable time uh, for all this to be happening. So uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, some something a little more lighthearted than that and something a little more fun. We're going to continue to talk about uh, video games and things that are fun. Get your mind off of uh, the stuff going on in the real world for a little bit. Uh, but I did want to mention that Loki is uh, participating in that bundle. But Momocon was this weekend. Uh, it's, it actually just ended. I only went yesterday. I went one day. Uh, and it's basically uh, my first large, my first personal large gaming convention uh, in the past two years. So uh, while I'm talking about this, I'm just going to have video running in the background. I'm not going to, you know, I'll probably narrate some of it. Uh, so I apologize to the podcast audience because this isn't necessarily going up on YouTube. But if you're subscribed to our Twitch channel, you can see the VOD. So I took some video. And so th- this is uh, at the Georgia World Congress Center. Uh, they did require uh, masks uh, to enter. So any, any mask could enter. Um, it was enforced at the gate. It was enforced at the door when you went in. And so you saw a lot of people with them, uh, but um, not exactly enforced all in all areas inside. So there's a lot of chin straps, unfortunately. So you're going to see that in the video. Um, it is what it is. Um, uh, I'm, you know... I, I did what I could. I had my N95 mask on the whole time. I was fine. I'm fine now. Um, but, uh, you know, we it was time to get back to, to having large-scale... Uh, for, for the people that were there, it was time to have a large-scale event. Uh, obviously, this is not a required event for people to go to, so you can assess your own risk, and all these people assess the risk 
uh, and the inconvenience of being told by security every once in a while that they need to put their mask back on. But they did have, uh, there were two arcade vendors there. One was this Player One Arcade. They had a whole bunch of classic uh, arcade cabinets, and I believe they are local. Uh, and they do arcade repair and things like that. Uh, so they brought a couple of smattering of, of 80s and, and early 90s arcade games. Uh, as well as Questbusters noticing the Superman arcade cab, yes. Uh, so, so they brought a lot, uh, a lot of like older arcade cabinets, and they were kind of like in the the center. They had this one little island, and then Save Point Arcade out of Maryland uh, had a lot more, uh, and uh, that is uh, they are essentially, I guess, the spiritual successor to Tokyo Attack in the convention scene because they had this this down to a science. Um, so when, when we get to that part, they obviously also had a bunch of like uh, classic console games. They had some CRTs that I wish I had one of those CRT TVs, uh, running some of the classic games that would have been awesome. And they had some like PC competitions. They had a PC, uh, gaming center that you can, uh, enter in competitions and things like that and get free play. So a uh, huge, uh, convention hall area. They also had a, gr- uh, area where if you were a streamer, you can stream from Momocon. You could get a two-hour block in like these uh, big, uh, like b- big iron chambers or whatever, uh, and and stream from Momocon. And people could actually see from the outside, watch you streaming. Uh, this was actually being run by some people that are part of the Stream Atlanta community. Uh, so if you know somebody was streaming, and I've actually got video here of Doctor Crazy, who we've actually raided after uh, here on Vogue Network before after some of our programming. He was streaming some Rocket League. Uh, from there but you can go in and say hey i'm streaming from momocom you can you know you can look out and see the vibe of everybody because you're looking out at the arcade uh and 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 basically get your name out there a little bit by people walking by so free play arcade uh the the free play was by save point uh they they had about 10 or 12 pinball machines um so they had both black knight 2000 and, and the newer black knight black knight 3000 i think is what it is uh, but then they also had, um, in terms of current games, uh, recently released games, they had a Deadpool and a Godzilla. So those were your current games. But then there was a Theater of Magic uh, in Indiana Jones. Uh, so th- there were there were some fun little pinball uh, uh, machines to play. I got to play a little bit uh, on some of them. It was very interesting because, once again, when you get people who don't know how pinball machines work, uh, they, you know, I, I remember I was behind some kids and they were basically just hitting everything and they were hitting everything. And I'm, I finally asked, you know, what are you trying to do? And they're like, well, we're trying to start it. And so I'm like, y- you hit the start button down there, which to be fair in their defense on that cabinet, it wasn't labeled a start button. It was just this white button that was unlabeled. So I don't, I don't, uh, you know, I don't begrudge them because it wasn't labeled start, but they were hitting every button except for the start button. There were also, um, you know, kids that would obviously hit the start button all the time. So they had four players and, you know, and the parent was just like, oh, my kid is having fun. And like the kid would start a new game with four players while I'm standing behind him. Uh, they did have, uh, in terms of the rhythm arcade games, they had a lot of the old and new Japanese rhythm arcade games. And the great way of getting somebody to not hog the Beatmania 2DX machine is to have four Beatmania 2DX machines. Uh, so that way they could only hog one of them. Uh, but I really didn't see anybody really hogging them, but they had, uh, that they were showing, I I saw some groove coaster. There was a keyboard mania, uh, which I did play. Um, 
There were a couple of Beatmania originals, so like the five key instead of the seven. Uh, so there was some uh, Taiko no Tetsujin, somebody was pointing out. There was, uh, you're going to see some popping music a little bit. Rob Roberts says, I hope they're coming back for Dragon Con. So that's the thing. I couldn't find anybody to actually ask. Um, like I, I saw like the, the staff that were there that were kind of maintaining it, but I didn't actually ask uh, if they were coming back to Dragon Con. I would hope that they are. Now, uh, realize that Momocon and Dragon Con are kind of like sister conventions in a way. So they share resources, and that's how Tokyo Attack got into Dragon Con uh, in the first place. So maybe this is going to be uh, a company that comes back into Dragon Con. Uh, Dark Thesias points out the initial Ds. Yes, there were some initial Ds there. Um and uh and and so there was and a lot of these they're they're showing there's a lot of these dance games that are older and 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 or, or newer that I don't recognize that some of our audiences recognize and they also had some classic arcade games uh or like they had some Neo Geo cabinets and fighting games because also you know if people aren't into the rhythm games they're into the fighting games so you've got a lot of the fighting games uh, they did have a Time Crisis two there. Uh, and, uh, and I thought there was a hard driving, I believe was one of them. I just panned away from it. Um, and, uh, there was an outrun. I actually do remember an outrun. They had Ollie King was one I had never seen before. Ollie King, it's a, uh, uh, skateboarding. So you, but you're actually physically on the skateboard. So they had a couple of those type of games, uh, their race driving, not hard driving was the one that they had. They had race driving. Uh, Questbuster points out there was a Revolution X that we passed by. Uh, so they actually have Tapper, not Root Beer Tapper, but Tapper complete with the Budweiser logo. So, you know, hide your kids. Um, and they did have a four-player X-Men. So if you want to get some X-Men in there, uh, you could. Um, for those on the podcast feed, basically I've just got video rolling where I basically just walked around all the arcade cabinets. And the great thing about doing this is every single time I would do this, uh, especially on the rhythm games, it was usually when the person was trying to figure out how to play or they had just finished. So, um, and so there, there was, there's a lot of me like walking by as people are like selecting songs or trying to figure out what they're supposed to do. Because unfortunately these are a lot of these are Japanese games and, one thing I would wish that uh, like Save Point would do, or any of these companies that uh, that that bring these to conventions, is put up a sheet in English that says how to start the game, because not all of these are import friendly, uh, and they've got the instructions, but they're in Japanese on the cabinet. But they, you know, if they could just like put something next to the cabinet uh, that that has the English version of the instructions, here's how to start a game. Like, doesn't need to be in-depth, but just, like, here's how you start the game. Here's the, the buttons you need to hit. Terraclass, how is the sound in there? I imagine it to be very loud in there without the carpeted floor. It sounded like this. So that's what it sounded like. Um, which means that, like, if you're going to ask me if I played these games, if I hadn't played the game before, I'm actually most likely not going to play it here. Because, especially with music games, I want to hear the music, and I could not hear the music. So uh, I, I played some Beatmania 2DX, but I played songs I knew. That way, it would be easier for me to play because I, I could hear the song in my head, even if I couldn't hear the song as well coming out of the speakers. So uh, I didn't try a lot of these new games because this is a terrible place to learn a new game, try to play the song. Because when I did play songs I didn't know, I just was basically trying to react to the buttons, and I am terrible at that. They had Gitadora 
which has both uh, the it's guitar freaks and drum mania basically. Uh, but they did have that set up where one cabinet was the guitar game, one cabinet was the drum game. I didn't try any of that, but they did have the Gitadora. Uh, and Questbus says the podcabs did not didn't look like they had Star Wars the, the jet fighter game. I didn't see exactly which one they had, but no, it wasn't. They were not the Star Wars cabinets. Uh, the washing machine game, I believe that's my my. Uh, the washing machine games. That's uh, if you saw GDQ, you got to see an exhibition of that. They they were there. Um, so there were just a lot of arcade games, like kind of all around this huge convention hall. Uh, obviously, and if you're watching the video, you can see this. There was a lot of room in, a, in many areas, like not necessarily between the cabs, but front to back. So it's like you weren't really packed in a lot. Um, and so that that was kind of nice. They did kind of distance a lot of these 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 different areas of uh, arcade cabinets were pretty far away from each other to allow people to, uh, you know, uh, not be all on top of each other. Although some of the places there were rows where you had to go in between a couple people. So uh, they also, they had a Just Dance stage. That was the, the funny part. So you could actually go up on stage and actually play Just Dance. And they even had like LED lights on the side that were synced to the music. Uh, and stuff. Uh, you could play VR games. Another group came over and allowed you. You could get time playing Half Life Alex, and I think Cookout was the other game. Uh, because not a lot of people have VR access to VR at home, especially high end VR that where you would play Half Life Alex. So you could actually rent time and play forty five minutes of Half Life Alex, which I thought was nice because like uh, because you know VR is still expensive, especially good VR. Uh, so being able to play it at a convention would be great. So uh, Mad Hatter's Cyber Arena, what they did with this, this is also VR, but it's a, like a room scale VR with people in VR headsets actually able to walk around an area. Uh, so they were there. And then that was also in the same place as all the esports uh, stuff, all the esports streams. So if you saw that stream of the Among Us player playing Smash Brothers, that's it was in this same area. Um, but I did not try the the immersive VR experience. So the next place that I went to uh, was they, they usually had a car display of like replica cars from movies, but they also had a fan car showcase. So if you ever play like Forza Horizon or Forza Motorsport, you can get, and I think it's pronounced liveries. I've never heard it actually pronounced, but I think it's that. I don't think it's liveries, but it's, I think it's liveries. And you can purchase liveries or, or, or download liveries that other people made of, like, all this anime stuff. And they use the Forza editor to do that. And it's like, you, you kind of wonder what those would ever look like in real life. Well, Moocon had a bunch of high-end, like, some high-end sports cars, others, you know, just sporty cars, completely wrapped with anime characters. And I'm like, this is what it would look like to be to, to play Forza Horizon in real life. Uh, Mike Def says the local convention there does the same thing, uh, have an anime car exhibition. Well, this was the anime car exhibition. So if you wanted to see anime girls on the side of sports cars, uh, they had this area for you. Uh, and, uh, it was, it was kind of impressive. Like I did not expect to see, you know, this in real life. I, I expect to see it in Forza, uh, where basically every other livery is some anime girl. But, uh, uh, E3VL says, I've seen some of these in my neighborhood. I would be scared to have one of these in, in a neighborhood. Uh, but they, they honestly do look great. Uh, Quest Special says, honestly, they, they look really great. They, they do. 
Um, this 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 last one, the uh, uh, I don't know who who I think it's, it says fate, stay and fight. Uh, but this was like the, the best one uh, that that I'm showing here because it even has stuff in the windows. They had some uh, action figures in the driver's seat uh, and everything like this. This one was just amazing. This uh, Mike Def says Gilgamesh. Yes, it says it now. Gilgamesh on the on the hood of the car. Uh, I know my anime, obviously. I was there for the anime, wasn't I? Uh, but the wait, there was more. There was a whole other row of uh, of cars and motorcycles. So, uh, yeah, and Dark to See says, I dig the gold on that one. Yeah, so there was a Gilgamesh car. Uh, and actually, I posted that one to Twitter, uh, the one that they're talking about. So if you go to my Twitter, at Bobby Blackwell, if you actually see, I, I actually posted that car, a picture of it. Um, and it, But, uh, yeah, I like the gold color. And I'm like, that's why that one was in the front. The rest of these are, are are here in the back. Um, so so it was kind of it was it was int- neat to see the the artistry and I think what's happening in general uh, is because the people who grew up watching anime in the two thousands the the kids that came after me even though I'm twenty nine but let's go with it um, they now have disposable income. And so they're now doing this. And anime being more accessible because of streaming uh, is also giving a lot of the uh, younger generation, the current current teenagers, are really getting into anime because it's so accessible now. Whereas when I was, you know, a, a kid, even though I'm I was I was I'm only 29. When I was a kid, if you wanted to watch anime, you had to know the right person to get VHSs of them where they had already done a fan sub. So, um, so, so if you wanted to get into anime, that's how you had to do it. Now you just get a Crunchyroll subscription, and you've got you know all the anime you could could want, and it's you can watch it whenever you want. And Tiger Claw says, if you want to watch anime, you had to rent it at Blockbuster. Yes, you had to either rent it at Blockbuster or. Uh, like I said, you had your fan sub club uh, that um, that that would give you the VHS, and you have a copy of a copy of a copy that had a fan sub on it. Um, so uh, th- then, uh, Razorfly Studios, who I've actually interviewed here on the show before, they brought some of their uh, they brought their DeLorean from Back to the Future, and and you know some other things. So there was a, a Fortnite battle bus uh, there. Uh, so yeah, and then uh, and then outside. Uh, I just I took this shot at the end uh, here at the convention center. They were doing cosplays out there. Uh, out uh, there was uh, there's a Roman gladiator out there doing a photo shoot, and the foot uh, the stadiums in the background, Mercedes Benz Stadium. There was an Atlanta United soccer match that night, so I went over uh, to to the Atlanta United soccer match uh, for the, for a couple hours uh, because also food is actually cheaper in the stadium than it is at uh, in the convention center, and uh, I really should have stayed at the anime convention. So, um, if you follow, uh, soccer, you know exactly why I just said that, but, uh, I did go back and I played some get more games, uh, in, in the anime convention. Uh, and so I had, to, I had, uh, I had a lot of fun and it was, it's really interesting to see how much anime has taken over, uh, especially with younger kids. Um, cause I have a friend, they've got a teenager and she is all into anime. Uh, and she, she's, I think a freshman in high school right now. And so she was down at Momocon all four days and, uh, you know, all, everybody else I know, like, especially teenage girls, uh, because anime is so accessible, easily found now, uh, they are all into it. 
and uh, and you know and and also like their parents especially like especially my friend like he's like yeah i know what anime i grew up on anime too this is fine um you know a lot of the parents now ha- have been exposed to anime in the past so it's not as weird as it maybe was for my parents you know when they were like why why would you watch cartoons from japan like why would you do that now it's a little bit more acceptable uh, Questor says it looks like a really chill convention. It wasn't, uh, but uh, I only showed you the gaming area. Uh, they did have a bu- the, they had they did have uh, for if you're a board game fan, they had that same size hall that was all the arcade games was a board game area, and it was just tables and you could rent board games and play those and, and, and you know collectible card games. So lots of Magic, lots of Pokemon, uh, stuff like that. Uh, I did go through the dealers hall once. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was a convention. So I wouldn't say it was chill, uh, because there were definitely, uh, some rowdy things going on out in the, the hallways, but it's, it's not a Dragon Con. It's not an adults convention. This is Dragon Con, which is on Labor Day weekend and Momocon are kind of sister conventions. And I think that's great because they kind of share resources because Momocon is very kid friendly. Uh, because kids are more into anime. So they do try to tailor things to be more kid-friendly. At night, there are things that you have to be 18 and over or 21 and over to attend. But for the most part, it's kid-friendly, whereas Dragon Con not necessarily is kid-friendly even at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. But uh, but so Momocon's kind of more geared toward the younger crowd. So I was one of the older people that were there. Um, and that's fine. Uh, but they, they did a good job with it. Um, and it, it was I had fun. But because I'm not into anime as much, like, just because I don't have time to watch anime, not that I wouldn't watch anime, uh, but because I'm not immersed in the culture like I was maybe 20 years ago when I was volunteering and, uh, you know, for Anime Weekend Atlanta, which I was doing in the mid 2000s, uh, I, I was bored after a couple hours. Like, I did one pass through the dealer's room, I played some arcade games, played pinball at least once and then i was like all right uh when's the soccer match start so i can go next door and have some cheap food um so uh, and fifth dream says like two percent of anime is kid friendly especially these days they practically play hentai on tv thankfully i'm not a parent so i don't have to worry about policing uh what kids are doing so i had fun i got to see some people that i hadn't seen in a couple years uh that typically do these conventions and stuff so uh, they're trying to actually get me to, um, to volunteer next year. Uh, I probably won't, but, uh, the streaming, the live streaming boost, they want to do more with that and bring in, uh, some high, some bigger Twitch partners to maybe be a part of that. Uh, but, but also they really want anybody who can stream to stream from those booths, uh, and had, they want to have a little bigger staff and a little bigger, uh, presence, and so they've asked me to be a part of that, and I'm like, hey, I, my anime convention volunteering days are behind me, but good luck. So, uh, but but I may stream from there next year. I don't know. I don't stream games right now, which is like I would have to stream games for two hours and then hope people would show up because it would be at a time I normally don't stream. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'd definitely go down and uh, do that maybe next year. Uh, but uh, But, yeah, so it was good to get down there, and it was good to see people. So uh, there were two pieces of news that were given to us over our Discord server, and uh, one is kind of interesting. It's about uh, it's it's about a, a game that was a prototype that was made that then uh, that never came out, but now we all have access to it, and that's the key here: is that 
now we all have access to this uh, this game. Uh, it is uh, a sequel to Marble Madness. Ars Technica reports that for decades, Atari's scrapped prototype arcade sequel Marble Madness 2 has been one of the unemulated holy grails for popular multi, uh, multi-platform emulator MAME. This has limited gameplay access to a, a handful of rare cabinet collectors and convention goers. That changed this week, though, with the unexpected and unexplained leak of a full Marble Madness 2 ROM that can now be played by the world at large. After confirming the ROM's authenticity by comparing its gameplay to extant footage, uh, Ars Technica looked into the how and the why of getting the game running via emulation and talked to community experts about Marble Madness 2's unique mix of exciting arcade history and disappointing gameplay. So in 1991, seven years after the hit release of Marvel Madness, Atari Games set out to create a sequel that included more of everything, as designer Bob Flanagan put it in a 2020 interview with AntStream. That prototype sequel, subtitled Marvel Man, packed in 17 large and complicated mazes, loads of new enemies, three-player support, a pinball-style bonus game, and even power-ups that let players fly across the level or crush threats in their path. Initial tests of Marble Man cabinets with internal focus groups and an external test location didn't go well, though. While that might have been the result of stiff competition from flashier new cabinets like Street Fighter 2, Atari blamed the performance on the game's trackball controls. Uh, so according to uh, an internal document archived by historians at AtariGames.com, they said, quote, From the focus, we learned that the trackball is more intuitive control to, to uh, roll a marble and that it is the desired control for the high-end player. But the joystick was perceived as an easier control for a beginner to learn the game. Thus, we would like to change the trackball to a joystick to see if we can gain a wider audience, unquote. Uh, Flanagan would later call the shift to a joystick and accelerator button control scheme a mistake driven by a lack of faith in players. He said, quote, by the time the game was to come out, more people had played the game that way in the home market and didn't even know what a trackball was, unquote. Early Marble Man testers also reportedly reacted badly to brief animations when the Marble transformed into a humanoid superhero with a face spouting goofy sound clips like the Adventures of Marble Man, uh, and these transformations were described as hokey, stupid, and meaningless, according to Atari documents, leading the team to remove Marble Man from the entire game for a second prototype. Uh, Flanagan said, quote, I made the design choice to target too young an audience with the Marble Man character. I should have kept it abstract like the original, unquote. Uh, the second trackball-free Marble Man-free Marble Man as 2 prototype reportedly didn't do much better than the first in limited location tests. Rather than rework the game yet again, Atari Games quickly strap, uh, scrapped the wider p- production plans for Marble Man as 2 to refocus on Guardians of the Hood, a simple brawler featuring digitized human actors. Marble Madness designer Mark Cerny, who was not involved with the development of either sequel prototype, told Next Generation Magazine in 1997 that, that, quote, at most 10 to 12 boards exist, unquote, of Marble Madness 2. Dark to see says, uh, I heard about this one for a few years, only ever showing up at events like California Extreme. Cool to see the ROMs out there. I don't think it'll be long before it's in MAME from what I hear. Uh, It's already in MAME right now. Um, So... Here's what happened. There, there's an Ars Technica article that kind of goes into like the politics of this, but I'm going to sum it's, it's too much. So I'm going to sum up. 
Um, so there have been, there's probably, there's a couple of these cabinets out there where people have gotten the board and then, you know, taken it to conventions, uh, you know, put a, put a cabinet around and taken to conventions. These are very valuable because they're very rare. And the only way you could play this game is from one of those cabinets. So if you wanted to play this game, only that handful of people were the only way you could play this game. They controlled the access to this game, which is the intrinsic value of that cabinet that they probably paid thousands of dollars for. However, um, what wound up happening was some anonymous person got a hold of uh, the the PCB, so the main board that has all the game code in it. Uh, All we know is that the name of the person is Dank2079, and they anonymously, just quietly and silently, just put it up on the Internet Archive. They dumped the ROM and put it up on the Internet Archive, and they didn't tell anybody about it. They just let it sit there. And so it got found. And apparently this is not the first game that's had, like, a lost ROM um, that, that just magically showed up on the Internet Archive. Because whoever leaked this the existing collectors that own the physical cabinets, uh, they would be very upset because they're going to basically say, you've just tanked the value of one of my investments. That's essentially what happened. Now, this has happened before, and the the value of the original arcade cabinets did not tank as much as the collectors feared, but uh, I can't remember exactly what, what game that was. But this has happened before, according to the Ars Technic article, and everything was fine. So these collectors are still going to be fine, but now uh, now everybody can play it because Dark Tessia said, I hear it's going to be in MAME soon. It's already in MAME. Uh, now, MAME obviously has to be updated for every game because uh, arcade code is designed to run on a specific set of hardware. And that hardware is different for every game. They make slight alterations. So, But according to uh, the people that work on MAME, Atari had a lot of common components. And they just mixed and matched. So it was very easy for them to get Marble Man 2 to run in MAME because they know uh, what Atari used at the time, and it was a lot of the same components. Uh, Tiger Claw says, won't be soon till somebody speedruns it. So the, the thing you got to realize about a lot of these arcade games is that it's about a high score. You don't necessarily speedrun. Uh, games, I mean, unless there is like a kill screen or something, that's why you can quote unquote speed run Pac-Man and get to the kill screen quickest, quickest. But when you're doing a game that has a high score, you don't necessarily speed run it. You speed run games that don't have high scores. Uh, Dark to see says, I know people who have already finished it in one credit. So I guess you could speed run to, you know, how fast can you get to the end? Um, and Questbuster says, yeah, the collectors will be fine, but now people will not have to wait for one of them to bring it out like a Marble Madness 2 Pope. Oh, God. Dude, if they had the, the hat and stuff and it just had a marble on it, and, and they were like, ah, my children, see the Marble Madden. You know, I, that, yeah, I, I would hope they wouldn't do that, but, but I, can, I can see them do it. Do they have Doritos and Mountain Dew as well? Yeah, Orange Wright says, Marble Madness 2 cabinet inside a glass dome. Yes. Um, the video that I've been playing on the, in the background on this is actually somebody that's in our Discord. That's why I'm using the video. So if you go uh, into our Discord, you can find this. Or if you look up MAME Fan, so it's MAME-Fan 
uh, he actually put up like a 45-minute video of him playing the main version that exists now of Marble Madness 2. Uh, so you can check that out. And that's what's been... And you can even kind of see him. So you can actually see his, he's playing it on an actual main cabinet because you can kind of see his face in there and he's kind of pointing at the screen every once in a while. He talks over it. That's why you're not actually hearing the music from it. Uh, but uh, but please definitely check that video out. It's, about, it's a good 45-minute look at, at Marble Madness 2. Tireclaw says, but how would a marble move with a hat on it? Tireclaw. It's a video game. You got to turn your brain off. Okay, maybe, maybe in that world, in the physics world, the hat attaches to a magnet that stays facing up. Because, I mean, obviously this is not our world. Marvel Madness does not exist in our reality. So maybe in that reality... The hat is always pointed once because up because obviously it is a divine hat. If it is the Marvel Madness Two Pope, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, we 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 don't. It doesn't have to exist in this world. It just has to exist in Marvel Madness's world. Fifth Dream says the hat has a segue on it. See, like modern problems require modern solutions. Fifth Dream says the Marvel Messiah. Yes, the Mar- the Marvel Messiah. Bring- bringing the Marvel Madness 2 to the convention. Now everybody can can have Marvel Madness 2 in the convention. Makes me wish I had my MAME cabinet already because then I would have it. And then I also would have done a video like MAME Fan. But MAME Fan did, 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 probably did a lot better in his video than I would have. So definitely check out his video over on YouTube. You can find it in our Discord server as well. And I'm, pr- I'm going to also link it here in the in the show notes over at vognetwork.com. And then uh, the last story I want to talk about, because this was also put in on our uh, on our Discord, that company that we hadn't really heard of until a couple weeks ago when they bought Square, uh, bought the Western Studios from Square Enix, the, the Tomb Raider Embracer Group. Remember, like we haven't heard that much about them. Well, they're doing something else to make themselves a bigger player in the gaming culture. Uh, and GamesRadar reports that Embracer Group has launched Embracer Games Archive, a new project designed to archive and save as much of the video game industry as possible. Although it is yet to issue a wanted list, the archive, archive already has 50,000 games, consoles, and accessories put away at its home in Sweden and plans to build a database and start cataloging in 2022. The team currently consists of a newly appointed CEO, archive assistant, technical engineer, and supply manager, all of whom hope to collaborate with initiatives and museums and institutions on the project, as well as exhibit the items curated to date. Uh, They said, uh, quote, for us, the games are more than just games. It's culture, unquote. Um, They uh, also said, quote, it is something created by great people with creative ideas. By building a large archive of physical games, we want to preserve and tribute the game's culture for a long period of time. Imagine a place where all physical video games, consoles, and accessories are gathered in the same place. And think about how much that could mean for games culture and enabling video games research. This journey has just been started, and we are at an early stage. At Embracer Games Archive, we believe that games carry a heritage worth celebrating and safeguarding for the future. Our goal is clear. We want to archive and save as much of the video games industry as possible, unquote. And that was Embracer Games Archive CEO David Bolstrom. So, uh, Dark Disease says, sounds like it's been a good week for game preservation. Yes. And one of the things that I like, and I mean, obviously this is just them speaking. So, you know, if they're telling the truth or if this is actually how it goes down in the future, we don't know. But what they're saying right now is that they do want to work with other initiatives, other museums, 
other institutions, which is good because the current fragment, the current issues we have in the game industry is because of stuff like Marble Madness 2, where you have the collectors who are not interested in working with museums or in, in issue, or, or doing any kind of type of game preservation. The game is preserved in their basement, in their collection, and they, they trot it out to conventions, and that's their idea of preservation, whereas Embracer Games Archive doesn't look like they're trying to compete but rather work with things like the Video Game History uh, Foundation, which is Frank Cifaldi's organization. Um, you know, so so that that gives me some hope that we're going to have some of this collaboration going on between different archives, and between them all, we can we can save and document uh, and be able to research this for many many years uh, many many years from now. ZenMonkey11 says none of this stuff will be needed if devs release their games to the wild after they make all the money they want from it. And uh, there's always more money that can be made. And the devs that don't exist anymore, uh, there's always still money to be made by the people that w- buy whatever IP that they have. But that's a good thought, though. If everybody just open sourced their stuff uh, after, you know, 10 years, 20 years... Uh, then, then, then none of this would be needed. But, uh, you know, honestly, museums still have books. You know, so there's got to be a place where you can preserve books, and games are no different. There's a, there's a museum where you preserve movies, uh, and there, there's archives of movies uh, all, all around the world. And so th- this, is, this is no different. Fistream says the only time there's no money to be made is whenever who on, whoever owns the rights no longer exists. Um, not necessarily because if they no longer exist, then their heir gets it, gets the rights, uh, and then you know then they can do whatever they want with it. So it's more about probably when the copyright expires, which is could be you know fifty to sixty years if there's some there's some movement in lowering the amount of copyright time for businesses down to like 53 years from the current 70 something that it is now um it's it's that it's uh it would probably be then is when they could no longer feasibly feasibly make money out of it and we have we don't have any 70 year old games video games yet so we haven't run into that Questbuster says there's also the strong National Museum of Play 2 in New York that try to preserve everything related to gaming from video games to even Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, so if you're ever in New York, go visit and uh, and support these initiatives. And that means buying admission. That means going and visiting. If they have merch, buying merch. Donate uh, stuff. If you think you have something that you're not necessarily trying to collect, but you think it's something they may not have... I know the Video Game History Foundation loves old magazines, and I didn't know this until after I had already thrown away a bunch of old magazines I found from the late 90s uh, at my parents' house, and I had, I had recycled them already. I didn't throw them away. I put them in the recycle bin because you can recycle magazines. And uh, I wish I had known. I would have sent it to them instead because they may not have had one of those issues for whatever reason. A lot of gaming magazines existed in the late 90s. Monkey 11 says, I get what you guys are saying, but there are so many abandoned games because the devs didn't make enough money to keep the lights on, so they stopped making money for the dev after some time. And E3VL says Nintendo Power. Uh, they have all the Nintendo Powers, but like all the smaller gaming magazines that were not tied to a publisher and didn't have national recognition, they may not have all the issues of those. 
And actually, what the Video Game History Foundation does, which is neat, uh, is even if they do, st- if they already have that issue preserved, they do kind of a blind box where you can actually get a magazine subscription through them, where every month they send you a random video game magazine, a duplicate of one they already have in their archive. They send you a random one from like the 90s or 2000s. And so you get the, a random video game magazine uh, full of random, you know, f- full of old historical goodness. Uh, and that's it's a recurring subscription, and that's one way you can support the Video Game History Foundation. Fifth Dream says there's so much history of, of even huge properties that people dig up new information about them because of some paragraph in a magazine in 1992. Yes, absolutely. Uh, there was canon in Pokemon that was only printed in a Japanese-only book in, like, 1996 that was put in the last game. A lot of time, game developers, especially for a long-time series, they forget some of the stuff that they had said back in the early part of the series. Or, you know, a lot of times there's turnover. The people that... The same human beings that worked on the first game are not the same human beings that worked on the most recent game. Uh, even if it is the same company, the same developer, a lot of the same humans aren't there, especially if a game franchise has been around 20 to 25 years. And Questbuster says, the fanzines were great back then and also a huge piece of lost cultural history for video games. All right, so normally uh, during this time, I would take a quick music break. Uh, I'm not going to do that tonight. Uh, hopefully Rob's ready. Uh, but I wasn't going to do that tonight because I did speak a little bit a, a while on, on, on Momocon, and we did start, I think, what, three minutes late, four minutes late, something like that. It's a long weekend. Uh, I'm allowed, I think. Uh, so also, we, we do sometimes take calls on our Discord server. You go There's a Green Room voice chat channel. Uh, Mike Deft called in last week, for instance. Uh, so we usually will take calls from there, or if I see somebody in there around you know the midpoint, around 8.30 Eastern or something, then I will try to work it in. I do kind of keep an eye on it. Uh, but nobody's in there tonight. But coming up next here on the Voice Geeks Network, twitch.tv slash VOG Network, is Orange Lounge Radio. It's three people out in Sacramento, California. They talk about games for much, much longer than I do. Uh, and And we like to check in with them. And see what they're going to be talking about and what they're going to be preserving their thoughts on. Because that's really what a podcast is, is preserving our thoughts in time. Sacramento, are you there? I'm here, Bobby. How are you? I, I am I am doing well. It's been a great weekend or week, great week for game preservation between a mm-hmm. new between a new new uh, prototype finally escaping the collectors. Yep. And then also uh, Embracer Group, which we none of us had really talked about until mm-hmm. like the last couple months. And now they're like, oh, hi, we're doing this, too. And yeah. hopefully they're not evil yet. Let's hope. So, so yeah. So it's it's been a been been uh, been been interesting. So you've been playing the No Man's Sky expedition that I won't touch. <laughs> so so tell me. So No Man's Sky changed it to make it even less chill. Tell me about this. So there's the Expedition 7 or Leviathan, which is just launched. And although the um, Expedition's theme, I guess, is like living freighters, like whales, basically, uh, space whales, if you will, um, for some reason they've decided to invoke a roguelike mechanic into uh, this expedition. Uh, basically what that is is the concept of, you know, uh, die, 
rinse, repeat, you know, instead of lather, rinse, repeat, you die over and over again and you, you go a little further. Think of, think of a game like, you know, Rogue Legacy was one of the early ones that really, you know, perfected this format. And mm-hmm. of course, we call them roguelikes because it goes way back yep. to the classic, I think, Terminal game is what it was yeah. originally for. Maybe, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe no. a older, it was Terminal, no, it was terminal game. Uh, Rogue. Uh, mm-hmm. which is all text-based, and uh, everything was randomly generated, right? Which, you know, No Man's Sky is is a lot of random generation type of yeah. stuff. Anyway, my point is, um, you do this expedition, and when you die, you basically have to start the whole thing over, but there are these things called memory fragments that you kind of collect the further that you get, and those memory fragments lead to random power-ups, and you kind of use those to uh, help you get a foot on the next go-around. Um, and then as the community, I believe, unlocks milestones, those memory fragments get stronger and stronger. I wasn't able to really see that on the last stream I did, because for some reason the internet connection wasn't working with the multiplayer mm-hmm. servers. It happens sometimes. Um, but uh, yeah, I did two streams on it last week, and it was interesting because the first one, which I, I think you saw, you saw me die right at the end after about two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. And then I started over. The second time I went through, it only took me about an hour, 40 minutes because I learned from the first time. And that's a lot of what a roguelike is, right? I had made mistakes like, mm-hmm. oops, I don't need to install and build a hyperdrive because the game actually gives you an already built hyperdrive. So that was a corner I was able to cut. Mm-hmm. I knew I would have to harvest memories from animals, so I was doing that early on. And so, and you know, the, the randomness of what I got helped me get a little bit of an edge to be faster too. And then the point where I died, I was prepared for it the second time. So I knew, okay, once I activate the thing and all the little scorpions come out, dig a hole into a cave and run in there because they can't get you in there. And sure enough, I was able to get past it the second time. Okay. So I haven't, I haven't died a third time yet, knock on wood. Mm-hmm. So yep. we'll, we'll see in a future stream probably in the coming week. But I was pleasantly surprised how fast that came out because the last expedition was just like six weeks ago, really. Yeah. And they're still not making us pay for this. Like, no, no. It's all with the base cost of the game, yeah. Yeah, and, and so... It's. I still love this. It's like my favorite redemption story. I mean, Final Fantasy XIV right there. Sure. But this is my favorite redemption story in gaming because we, mm. a lot of people trash this game. Mm-hmm. And and now we've gotten like seven, 18 expansions or 18 huge updates for yeah. free. Like yeah. they're not charging us anything. And I'm like, I'm like how mm. are they making money? I, I, I guess they just keep selling copies of the game. Um, yeah. you know, it, every time, you know, one of these comes out, it goes on sale again, or it doesn't go on sale again, depending on how meaty the update is. And I think they just kind of keep selling copies of it. Mm-hmm. And of course, now we know the game is coming out on the switch. Yeah. So they're going to sell more copies there. And I bet there'll be an audience where there'll probably be people that bought this game on the PlayStation four, have no idea that they can just redeem it on PlayStation five. If they have a PlayStation mm-hmm. four version of the game, uh, and they'll, they'll buy the switch version. I mean, why not? I bought it twice. Yep. Yet the version I'm playing is Xbox game pass, which I didn't technically buy, but yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I bought it twice because I bought it uh, on PC to play it in VR. To play it on my yeah. real VR, except the only downside is they never fix this, is that flying a plane in VR, like doing mm-hmm. the flying, mm-hmm. uh, they uh, I don't like the way that they did it because they don't let you use the buttons in the joystick like you can when you're on mm-hmm. a gamepad. They mm-hmm. require you to actually physically hold your hands and act like you are grabbing the flight yoke. And you're grabbing oh, the 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 uh, rudder, like uh, the the speed thing. So to fly, you are literally t- 
turning and twisting your wrist like you were holding a flight yoke, except the problem is you're not actually holding a flight yoke. And mm-hmm. so because mm-hmm. there's no physical yoke there, you're grabbing onto an imaginary one, so it makes it really hard to fly. Yeah, I don't I don't love VR in No Man's Sky. I, I love it to like just experience it once mm-hmm. because the game is so beautiful and it does look really good. But yeah, I mean, the game wasn't really built with VR in mind, right? Yeah. And we always know that is usually a problem. A game like Half-Life Alex is exceptional because mm-hmm. it was built with VR in mind, right? Yeah. Um, something like Otica, which I know you're a big fan of, mm-hmm. built with VR in mind. Uh, Beat Saber, Beat et cetera, Saber, et cetera. Yeah. The list goes on. Um, games that don't, the games that kind of have VR injected into it have mixed results. Yeah. I, I would say it's it's good in No Man's Sky, but you just pointed out what's a huge issue. Yeah. It's it's good to like explore your base and kind of see that, and then like, oh, this game is so pretty. Okay, mm-hmm. back to back to keyboard mouse. You know, yeah. it's just yeah. Well, I mean, I like that when I played it on PlayStation Four VR, you could opt to not use the PlayStation Move controllers and just use the DualShock, which meant that oh. flying was normal on PlayStation Four. However, on oh, PC VR, that's weird. On PC VR, they don't give you the option. I can't use my Xbox gamepad if I'm in, in VR because they're like, oh, you have a Valve Index. You have the, you have the Knuckles controllers. Use those. Oh, it's strange. Um, but, you know, speaking of how does the game make money, you know, we have a um, state of play for PlayStation coming yep. up. And it's expected that PlayStation VR 2 will be featured. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure No Man's Sky will support it. Why wouldn't yep. it? You know, and it'll just be another and that'll be an, another kind of audience that gets opened up to. Uh, granted, you would think a lot of people would have picked it up on PlayStation 4, but I, I just think this game just keeps selling enough. I don't mm-hmm. think there's a huge team supporting this game at this yeah. point, even though they are doing the frequent patches. But it's just it's just enough to uh, keep everybody employed and, and ho- hopefully also fund whatever mm-hmm. else they're cooking up right now. ZenMonkey11 says, I love the VR flying. Just hold a boom, uh, a broomstick, bro. A broomstick. I almost said a boomstick. <laughs> and I'm like, is this, is, are you Ash? Is my boomstick. <laughs> uh, but a broomstick. Uh, but I actually have, and un- believe it or not, like I've had this and I have not actually unboxed it yet. I have a flight stick, a USB flight stick. I got it so I could use it for Star Wars Squadrons. I'd like to use how, that. It, how, how about a Mario Kart Wii? Uh, there you go. Steering wheel. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, no, I actually have a flight stick that I was going to use with Star Wars Squadrons in VR. I just, I like, I have it and I just haven't had the time because I've been building a new machine to run it with. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and you can use those in No Man's Sky unless you're in VR. If you're in VR, you can't use that $100 setup to fly your plane. You can only mm-hmm. use it when you're in desktop mode. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, yeah, I know there's there's hacks a way around it, or they could just give me the button controls as an option in yes, the game. It seems silly it's not already there. Because you do it on PS4, but those of us that have high NP anyway... It's still it's still amazing to to. You to might want to check. They might have still no. added it in one of these like seven updates they've done. Uh, I checked. I think a month or two ago, and it was oh, still the bummer. same way because I, I looked and they're like, but I think now like they're like we did the VR version. We're done. Like oh, we're not touching the VR. Done. You know. Yeah, yeah. Limited resources and all. Yeah. Right. They, they yeah. moved on to 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 space whales basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh you so see yeah the state of play is this week so that that's a big thing cuz like we're we're getting actually up close to that time of year that would have been that big gaming convention that's not going on right now. 
and now kind of what it looks like in a post that yeah. convention world, right? Yeah. Because, uh, like, it, we, it probably wouldn't have been this week. It would probably have been the next week because this mm-hmm. is the, the holiday weekend. But next yeah. week, uh, or eight days, seven days from now, would be the first press conferences yeah. of that gaming convention that no longer, that, that gaming conference that no longer exists anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that I know they're coming back next year. They no longer exist. So mm-hmm. uh, we've we've we're starting to get to that point where we're going to be like, all right, what's going to happen? What's going to be what's our uh, gaming going to be like in 2022 for the rest yep. of the year? Uh, I'm sure you're going to be talking about maybe talking about some of that or th- something to, uh, for that. But what else are you going to be talking about on Orange Lounge Radio tonight? You bet. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about some of the early reports of the PlayStation Classic emulation. You know, we're talking about it was a good re- week for preservation. Not all the headlines because uh, uh, some of the uh, criticisms about PlayStation's way of kind of emulating the PS1 games. We're going to talk about that. Uh, we'll also talk about, you know, in other Sony news. There's a lot of Sony news this week. Um, they have opted some new series for Netflix. So I know a lot of people are focused on Stranger Things right now, mm-hmm. but there are some uh, other strange things on the horizon. Not that strange i suppose uh not all the news uh good at playstation however because uh there's a well i shouldn't say it's you know obviously this is about a lawsuit and it's a gender discrimination lawsuit mm-hmm. and obviously it's something that needs to be addressed um so uh that is a new lawsuit that has been filed uh after the initial one was dismissed by a federal judge so we'll talk about that as well tonight alana olr all right orange Lounge radio is up next thanks so much rob thanks as always bobby all right, so uh, that is it for me. I will be back next Sunday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, right here at the Voice Geeks Network Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Network. Come join us and interact with the show directly. Uh, once again, uh, at the end of the month, at the end of June, about, we're about four weeks away, I will be at Summer Games Done Quick. GamesDoneQuick.com is where you can find that. If you go to the schedule on there, it's everything suggested to your time zone. You can search for my name, Control-F, uh, Command-F, whatever you use in your browser. Uh, to, to search for my name. You'll see what I'm hosting there. Or uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Bobby Blackwolf, or on our Discord server, vognetwork.com slash Discord. If you like the show, tell a friend. If you hate the show, tell an enemy. I don't care. Just tell someone the show is not for everybody, but it may be for somebody who does not know about it yet. Uh, but uh, but we really, I really appreciate that you are uh, still here uh, as we near, I think, 17 years of this podcast, because I think July... Oh, I know it's July, but uh, July 24th is when uh, we started. Back in 2005, iTunes added podcasts a month earlier. And uh, I'm, I'm just so happy that, that y'all are here and y'all participate. And uh, I really do appreciate all of y'all. Uh, so uh, that's it. I'm going to hit the button here so we can get out of here. And uh, it would also help when I hit that button if I also unmute because I had that button muted Uh, so we didn't have loud arcade sounds. But now you can hear the music, and now I can shut up. And uh, hope that you have a, uh, if you have the day off tomorrow from work here in the U.S., I hope you have a wonderful day, and I'll see you next week. Bye. A winner is you. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts, guests, and callers only, and are not necessarily the opinions of the Vogue Network, people who need to hire new voiceover guys, or your mom. Although if Bobby said it, it really should be. This has been a production of Bobby Blackwolf Studios.